topic of today's Dhamma talk is Dhamma Nupasana Satipatthana, mindful contemplation of Dhammas. And here we shall discuss aspects related to the five aggregates, the Pancha Kanda or Pancha Upadana Kanda, as they're also known. And depending on the time, we'll try to cover at least some of these five aggregates. Now, the contemplation of the five aggregates under Dhammanupasana Satipatthana represents an important aspect of the practice of or meditation of Satipatthana. Now, with regard to the contemplation of the aggregates, the Buddha has mentioned in the Satipatthana Sutta, and I'm quoting, and this is mostly the translation by Venerable Analayo based on Venerable Nyanamoli's certain translation. So there it says, he or she knows such is material form, such its arising, such its passing away, such is feeling, Vedana, such its arising, such its passing away, such is perception, some people call it cognition, and such its arising, such its passing away. Such are mental formations or mental states, sankharas, such their arising, such their passing away. And finally, such is consciousness, such its arising, such its passing away. So when we hear this passage on the aggregates, then we will find five aggregates listed and the instruction given or the guideline given with regard to these five aggregates is first of all to know their respective nature. So so to know the nature of the aggregate of materiality, rupakanda, to know the nature of the aggregate of feelings, of perceptions, of mental formations, and of consciousness. And then, as a second step, also to know the arising and passing away of each and every of those aggregates. Now, instead of saying to know the arising and passing away of the aggregates, we this points, or instead of saying this, we could also say what. The dissolution, yes, is one aspect. Eh? Anicca, there you go, namely the impermanence. So, um, knowing, observing and knowing the arising and passing away of uh, the aggregates uh, is tantamount to saying 
you know, knowing you know, their impermanent nature, to investigate uh, you know, their impermanent nature. Now, before going into any you know, further details, let me, you know, or allow me, to just briefly you know, state what is meant by an aggregate. The Pani term for this is kanda, and an, an aggregate, or you know, sometimes also a mass, a heap, a group. And so, you know, so this refers to you know, formations you know, of, uh, with regard to a particular aggregate, um, or formations of a particular kind, um, and formations that uh, formations of the past, of the present, and of uh, the future, as well as all con connected certain formations, um, namely internal as well as external, near or far, gross or subtle, and. Uh, uh, and that's about uh, it. And so this then, applied to the aggregate of materiality, means that a meditator is uh, asked to observe and uh, to know the uh, mass of or the totality uh, of uh, material you know, formations not only of the present, but also of the past, of the future, near and far, gross and subtle, internal and external. And the same thing then goes for the aggregate of feelings, of perceptions, of mental formations, and of consciousness. Now, let us you know, first explain some of you know, the uh, common characteristics or characteristics that are common you know, to all you know, five uh, uh, aggregates. And the contemplation of you know, the aggregates if done thoroughly, will lead to, in the words of the Samyutta Nikaya, to detachment and dispassion. And when one develops detachment and dispassion regarding the aggregates, then this is certainly preparing the ground for some awakening. And in the best case, this particular kind of contemplation may lead as far as full realization. And so this, this practice of mindful contemplation of the aggregates can lead a meditator you know, to you know, the attainment of uh, the fourth and last uh, 
you know, level of enlightenment or awakening, namely you know, that of the Holy One, an Arahant. And the you know, first and foremost uh, the examples you know, for you know, this you know, contemplation of uh, uh, the aggregates leading all the way to Arahantship are who? Who knows? No. Well, the five ascetics, the so-called group of five ascetics, uh, the Panchavagya in the Pali scripture language, namely the companions, the Buddha's companions, while he was still practicing austerities, before he gained enlightenment. And so, so those uh, you know, those five ascetics, so, or the Buddha practiced together with uh, you know, them, then you know, sooner or later he realized you know, that so austere practices are not so, you know, leading you know, anywhere, not leading you know, to, you know, well, to wisdom, the realization of wisdom, and you know, eventually he abandoned austere practices, and with this also his group of five ascetic friends. And he then ventured on his own, and eventually then ended up sitting under the Bodhi tree in what is now known as Bodhgaya, and there he gained enlightenment. And then after having experienced the fruits of enlightenment for 49 days, he then contemplated or reflected whether he should or should not share the Dhamma that he had gained, namely omniscient knowledge, with others. And at first he was somewhat disinclined to share it, and eventually upon the request of some Brahma, I believe, he then did share the Dhamma with others. And his original teachers of the jhanas, both the teachers of the jhanas had already passed away, and so then the Buddha's mind fell on the group of five ascetics. So then he went to the Uruvela forest, and there, uh, he you know, met you know, with his uh, ascetic friends and uh, uh, in order to teach them you know, Dhamma. However, you know, at first they were not willing to listen you know, to him. At first they didn't even want to you know, welcome him, but in the end, in the end they did uh, accept him you know, and uh, even prepared a seat for him and made all necessary you know, the preparations. And then after some conversation back and forth, the Buddha gave his very first discourse known as the Dhamma Chakabhavatana Sutta, the discourse on the setting in motion of the wheel of Dhamma. And then later, a few days later, did the Buddha preach another discourse to the same group of ascetics, namely the Anatta Lakana, 
you know, sutta, the discourse on the characteristic of non-self. And um, the Buddha explains the characteristic of non-self with regard to, to you know, the five aggregates. And while the group of uh, you know, five ascetics were listening to you know, this discourse and then practicing it, so while they were you know, practicing you know, the five contemplation of the five aggregates, uh, they all became uh, arahants. And so obviously, you know, this contemplation of uh, the aggregates Satna then is a very powerful you know, contemplation that can lead uh, all the way you know, to you know, the end. And uh, there are a number of other you know, disciples, Teras and Teres, you know, of uh, you know, the Buddha and who you know, gained you know, full you know, awakening or full enlightenment you know, by undertaking the same uh, type of contemplation. Now, what uh, this particular contemplation does is it breaks a particular human, um, well, uh, behavior towards uh, uh, the body and the mind. And what is this? The ego. Uh, yes, is good. In in which sense the ego? Yeah, uh, well, if you, s- yes, oh, identification uh, with uh, this body and mind, or in our terms, uh, with the you know, five aggregates. So, um, this is certainly uh, one uh, aspect, and uh, um, the other aspects uh, is. Uh, that of taking the the five uh, aggregates or or relating to the five aggregates in in which way? Pardon me? Impersonal, yeah, this we have, identification, so... um, Not as an entity. Not as an entity. Yes, good. Yeah, good. Okay, conditioned. So you know, there's uh, two or three different aspects here. For one thing, the mindful contemplation of uh, the aggregates you know, leads, as uh, we've seen, to detachment and certain uh, dispassion. And uh, um, usually, what human beings do is, with regard to, to these five aggregates. Um, or you know, the entity you know, that we call you know, a self, or I, or a mind. Um, usually there's a certain identification with those aggregates. Usually there is an attachment you know, to these aggregates. And on top of this, one takes these aggregates as what? As uh, you know, permanent or impermanent? As permanent. At least, you know, there is uh, a deeply seated uh, uh, assumption you know, that uh, you know, these five aggregates, or at least some of them, you know, will be uh, permanent. And all three of you know, those, the identification, the attachment with the aggregates, and taking the aggregates to be you know, permanent, 
nodes go very deep and are very strong. And it is this desire and attachment to the five aggregates that, um, well, presents or represents a major obstacle when it comes to gaining liberation. And it is the desire, the attachment, that is kind of representing a force that we need to overcome. And the Venerable Sadhu Pandita likes to explain this force of attachment with the help of well, launching a rocket into space. Any material object, including ourselves, is subject to what? The? What else? Gravity. There you go. The gravitational forces, whether we like it or not, we can sit on the, you know, on the floor, we can sit on a chair, or we can you know, climb up a ladder. The gravitational forces will still be there. And, so, um, and so in order to launch a rocket into space, so you know, for the rocket, so to you know, speak, to gain liberation, um, what does it need to do? It needs to overcome these gravitational forces. And this then you know, requires a tremendous amount of energy that needs to be set free in launching you know, the rocket of uh, you know, the launch pad. Likewise, as you know, human beings, you know, if we seek liberation, we need a tremendous amount of energy you know, to overcome, to break or to overcome you know, these so-called you know, gravitational forces of desire and uh, attachment you know, to you know, the five aggregates. And the, con the mindful contemplation of the five aggregates very much helps to overcome you know, those, you know, so to sp figuratively speaking, you know, gravitational forces of uh, desire and uh, attachment and identification with the uh, aggregates. And, well, manifestations of our attachment and identification with uh, you know, the aggregates are many. And so, so when this uh, body of ours is uh, hurting just a little bit, let's say uh, it has... Uh, uh, it suffers from a, you know, from a headache, then uh, we you know, get already a little bit uh, worried. And so if it's more than this, you know, then you know, we might uh, worry even more. And so can you think of other the manifestations of our attachment to you know, the aggregates? 
Yes, indeed, to make oneself pretty. So, to beautify you know, this body uh, of ours. And um, you know, these days, you know, this is done you know, by you know, men and women alike. And uh, you know, it takes up a lot of time and uh, also a lot of uh, money. And then, if uh, this uh, body of ours is not as beautiful anymore as we would uh, wish it to be, then again, this becomes a source of uh, major concern. And so so there is uh, much uh, attachment uh, around. Now, when we look at these five aggregates, the aggregate of materiality, of feelings, of perceptions, of uh, mental formations, and uh, of uh, consciousness, then they are given in a particular order. And what is uh, the organizing principle behind these five uh, aggregates? Yes, indeed, from gross to subtle. And for a meditator, at the outset of one's meditation practice, well, the aggregate of materiality coming in the form of the body will be the most conspicuous and the easiest to be observed. Now, already somewhat more difficult than an observation of bodily formations is the observation of feelings, pleasant, unpleasant feelings, and in particular, neutral feelings, since they're so, since they're not as obvious as the pleasant and unpleasant feelings. And then, even more difficult to you know, observe mindfully are you know, the perceptions, sanya, and uh, we shall go into you know, the details of this later on. And so then um, the mental states are even more you know, difficult you know, to you know, pinpoint or to you know, get a you know, good uh, hold onto or grip you know, onto. And uh, with regard to the mental states, one of the problems is where do I look for them? Where do I observe them? And uh, with physical objects at first, at least the location is uh, obvious, but with the mental states, it's not all that obvious. And uh, then the observation of consciousness itself turns out to be the most refined and the most difficult among all the five aggregates. And only at certain points in our meditation practice is it that we clearly perceive consciousness itself. And when we go 
when we undertake this uh, you know, practice of satipatthana meditation, uh, then quite naturally you know, will you know, the material objects occur first, and then gradually as we go on, you know, things become more you know, subtle. And so you know, once in a while, you know, consciousness itself you know, will come up you know, for uh, observation. So the meditation practice very much follows you know, the you know, order that is certainly given for you know, the aggregates. Now, in the text, there is mention of five similes for the aggregates, and in all five cases, the aggregates are compared more or less in a similar way to something insubstantial. So the body, for instance, gets compared to some heap of foam. Now, as you know, the nature of foam is that it's rather, it's not very compact, but consists of a mass of bubbles that are connected with one another. And so, so a heap of uh, foam doesn't really have a core, and uh, it's uh, a void. And so then mm, similar mm, illustrations are given for you know, the other uh, aggregates, like uh, um, a bubble formed on... Uh, water when you know, some something drops, or when you know, yeah, when you know, something drops onto a surface uh, of uh, water, then you know, creating a bubble. And um, or another illustration then given is uh, you know, that of a banana, banana tree, a plantain, you know, which you know, different from ordinary trees has no hard wood. Again, you know, this stands you know, for the hollowness uh, of it. Now, when we undertake this mindful contemplation of you know, the aggregates, then you know, we realize that each and every one is lacking a sense of of a self or ego. And first of all, formations keep changing all the time. Even the most solid material pain sooner or later breaks up. Now, by now, you've practiced long enough to to be able to verify this from your own meditation practice. And 
so when one sees that certain material formations, feelings, perceptions, mental formations, and consciousness are all impermanent, now then now this certain will already you know, substantially you know, weaken the notion of a self since one of the assumptions in respect to a self is that the self is permanent now this you know the self that is identifying in one way or another with the aggregates you know, then is identifying to something that is impermanent and so then as one practices you know, one sees how all of you know, these certain you know, formations lack a core, lack you know, some uh, you know, substance, lack uh, uh, an essence. And so thus, one realizes uh, that none of them, none of the five aggregates uh, are mine, and so they cannot be seen as I, and so, uh, nor you know, do they belong you know, to myself, or uh, nor are they myself. And Venerable Analayo, uh, in his book Satipatthana, says that, and I'm quoting page 208, by affirming karmic consequences and ethical responsibility, the Buddha clearly opposes the teachings of the materialists who assume the existence of some solid material um, entity, uh, which then is said to be uh, identical with the self. And all we have are just these aggregates you know, formations of the aggregates, and you know, they are you know, linked by cause and effect. Now, this contemplation of mindful contemplation of the aggregates proceeds, as mentioned at the outset, in two. You know, steps are two phases. First, you know, one uh, observes and knows uh, the nature of uh, specific nature of each of uh, the aggregates, and the next step is that of seeing the impermanence, the arising and passing away of the, the same uh, aggregates. And being mindful of the impermanence of the aggregates you know, then leads to an understanding of the impermanence. Um, and then uh, this, in turn, leads certain to, uh, in, in the end, may lead to full uh, realization or full uh, awakening. Now, yet another important aspect in connection with uh, these five aggregates is the following. When we are not mindful of them. And uh, we relate to the five aggregates, especially to you know, the body, in an absent-minded manner, then we uh, tend to you know, see our own body 
uh, as beautiful. And so, of course, there's plenty uh, of uh, attachment uh, there. And we tend to see uh, the body as well as uh, the other you know, four aggregates as uh, permanent, as conducive to happiness, as uh, and uh, then also you know, being subject uh, to you know, the control of a self, and uh, and as beautiful. So four you know, aspects uh, are there. And so we're seeing the five aggregates in a rather, um, well, wonderful way. Uh, we, we see the five aggregates as something attractive, as something you know, that uh, is full of advantages. And then we happen to do a Satipatthana retreat, and with this comes the great disillusionment. And, <laughs> and with this, we then can't help but see formations as being impermanent, and we then can no longer help but to see formations as, in the end, unsatisfactory, and then we no longer find a self near there, and we find that things are happening of their own accord. And then at times we may realize that this body, after all, isn't all that beautiful. And when we think of its habits of sweating and smelling and uh, well, uh, oh, falling sick and uh, having to be taken care of in so many different uh, ways. Uh, this body uh, has to be fed and uh, kept healthy and so on and so forth. Uh, then we might start uh, seeing you know, the body as well as uh, the remaining four aggregates in a different light namely as full of disadvantages. And thus, the contemplation of uh, the aggregates leads to seeing the disadvantages of uh, the same aggregates. This in Pani is given as adenawa, which is an important aspect on the path or it's an important stage on the path towards Nibbana, leading towards Nibbana. And the Pali technical term for advantage, seeing the five aggregates as advantageous, this is asada. So asada and adenawa form a pair of opposites. Now, when one undertakes uh, this certain con mindful contemplation of uh, the five aggregates, one uh, will also 
come to one will come to understand a further you know, important point, and so this is that the formations of the you know, five aggregates are um, both conditioning other formations and at the same time they are conditioned so they are being influenced so one formation whatever formation it may be may act as a cause or may have a certain impact on a different formation and that first formation itself may then become um, or come under the influence of some other you know, formation. So the formations of the five aggregates are both conditioning as well as conditioned. And to then elaborate on this a little bit, the aggregate of materiality, rupakanda, is said to be conditioned by nutriment. So, by providing you know, this body with food. And the aggregates of uh, uh, feelings, of perceptions, and uh, you know, of mental formations are said to be conditioned by you know, contact, so by you know, fasa, and certainly the aggregate of uh, consciousness, vinyana, is certainly said to be conditioned by uh, mind and matter, nama and rupa. And, and what one furthermore discovers when undertaking you know, this mindful contemplation of the aggregates is uh, that mental you know, mental formations, so mental states and consciousness are uh, of uh, or sh- have a purely functional uh, nature, and there's no more you know, to them you know, than you know, this. Now, this much regarding you know, some general aspects concerning all five of uh, the aggregates. Now, let us uh, go one step further and explore uh, the aggregates of uh, materiality, rupakanda. Now, usually, material form is uh, equated with or is said to consist of the four primary elements. So, the uh, earth elements uh, covering uh, uh, hardness, softness, roughness, smoothness, and so on and so forth. And uh, then the wind element, wayoda, to uh, covering experiences connected with uh, motion, movement, tension, stiffness, and so on. 
and uh, then we have uh, the fire element or temperature element they're covering you know, a range of different temperatures you know, going from you know, heat to you know, cold to freezing and so, you know, then we have the water element you know, up or down to you know, which covers certain experiences you know, you know, connected with oozing liquids uh, flowing you know, you know, sensations and certain so on and now when it comes to the aggregates of materiality, then a particular discourse from the Kanda Samyutta explains, and I'm basing this on Venerable Analaya's explanations, um, it explains that what is meant by material form are the subjective experiences, a meditator's subjective experiences of materiality. So let's say you know, there's a pain somewhere in the body, this pain is predominant, and it becomes a subjective experience you know, for the meditator. So that then the subjective experience of uh, you know, this pain you know, then would be one element or one part of uh, you know, the aggregate of uh, materiality. And the way it's being defined in that certain you know, discourse in the Kanda Samyutta is as follows, namely, uh, material form refers to whatever is affected, rupati impani, by external conditions such as cold and heat, hunger and thirst, mosquitoes and snakes, emphasizing the subjective experience of rupa as a central aspect of this aggregate. So when we undertake this mindful contemplation of the aggregates, and in particular of the aggregate of materiality, then it's important you know, to know its uh, nature. And so, so to know you know, the you know, uh, to know the formation in terms of uh, its uh, ele elements and uh, the you know, subjective uh, quality there. Now the aggregate of feelings gets defined in the Navisuddhi Magga paragraph 125, although I don't even know the chapter here, um, well, it gets defined in the following way. Namely, feeling is a single fold, and whatever has the characteristic of being felt should be understood, all taken together as the feeling aggregate. And you know, the Buddha says, as is recorded in Majjhimanikaya 1, you know, section 293, it is felt, friend, that is why it is called feeling. So the totality 
of experiences that have to do with being felt. Something is being felt, you know, this you know, then qualifies, <coughs> qualifies as uh, coming under you know, the aggregate of uh, feelings. And so this includes present uh, experiences, but also you know, the experiences of uh, the past. And so then just for the sake of completion, feeling is said to be threefold in, in, in the way that feeling can be profitable when it is associated with profitable or wholesome consciousness. Feeling can be unwholesome when it is associated with unwholesome consciousness and feeling can be indeterminate when associated with indeterminate consciousness. And then feeling is said to be fivefold if one distinguishes in the following way, namely as bodily pleasure, so bodily pleasure, then bodily pain, and you know, then mental joy, mental grief, or you know, um, you know, dis, discontent, and equanimity. And the equanimity refers to you know, both. And so, just for the sake of uh, uh, completion, the definition for feeling was it has the characteristic of being felt and its function is experiencing an object or is to enjoy the desirable aspect of an object, to enjoy, to relish this desirable aspect of an object could be a pleasant object or an unpleasant object, and then if it's an unpleasant object, then it's just to experience you know, you know, that um, uh, aspect of the object, the undesirable aspect of the object. And the manifestation is relishing, is the relishing of the associated you know, mental factors, and its proximate cause is uh, you know, tranquility. Now, when we undertake you know, this mindful contemplation of uh, the aggregates, then um, we are asked, uh, as uh, is given in the uh, instructions in the Satipatthana Sutta, uh, first of all, to know the nature of uh, you know, the aggregates, uh, aggregate of feelings, namely, so these are all formations that are being felt and uh, which refer to the effective quality of an object. And uh, so from, you know, from a point of view of human, you know, human experience, and then we can say 
and then it is certain feeling that covers the effective quality of our experience, whereas perception covers the you know, perceptive or co you know, co cognitive quality of uh, our experience, you know, whereas you know, when it comes to you know, consciousness uh, or you know, mental formation, sorry, you know, they cover you know, the you know, cognitive uh, aspect of our uh, experience. And uh, in terms of consciousness, it's con you know, consciousness is uh, you know, that which is conscious of uh, you know, something. Now, the third, oh, and apart from knowing the nature of, you know, of you know, the aggregate of feelings, we also are you know, called to you know, know you know, their or to know the impermanent quality of this particular aggregate. And this then contributing to a proper understanding of feelings as, well, being transitory in nature and then lacking a self and... Uh, and then not taking you know, these formations as uh, uh, pleasurable or as uh, beautiful, and seeing you know, feelings as uh, you know, well, um, what was it? Or as disadvantageous. So, seeing them in a dispassionate uh, manner. Now, the next uh, contemplate or the next part of our mindful contemplation of uh, aggregates is, uh, you know, or covers the perceptions. And to start uh, with an illustration, on one occasion, a king had uh, the blind people of his uh, country all called, and uh, you know, then he uh, um, then he had uh, all of them you know, touch an elephant, and uh, and they were not informed or not told that this is an elephant, and afterwards each and every one of them. You know, was asked what you know, this uh, uh, thing was. And based on you know, the respective you know, tact or tactile you know, experience. So one blind you know, person would hold on to you know, the tail and you know, thinking you know, that this was you know, maybe uh, some brush. And uh, another blind uh, person you know, would touch uh, you know, the belly of uh, you know, the you know, elephant and uh, you know, thinking you know, that this was, uh, uh, you know, well, a, wa a wall. And, uh, and then uh, another one you know, touching you know, the, um, the trunk of uh, 
the elephant and then thinking that this was uh, maybe what? A tree, okay, a tree or a fire hose as you like. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and then uh, maybe another one touching uh, the tusk or end of thinking that this is what huh? or oh, a peeler, yes, well, a smooth peeler, <laughs> peeler or a smooth stick or something. And so then, um, you know, then these blind, uh, you know, blind people, um, you know, so they were asked what they you know, had felt and uh, what their opinion was you know, of uh, what they you know, had felt. And uh, you know, so you know, they even got in, into an argument. And uh, you know, one saying, well, you know, this is a wand. Another one saying, this is a brush and so on. So you know, you know, they couldn't agree among themselves. And the reason for you know, this is you know, because the perception you know, for each and every one of them you know, was certainly different. And now, and actually this story you know, very nicely um, brings across the uh, rather... Yeah, deluding nature or delusive nature of uh, perceptions. Most human beings uh, you know, think uh, or, or most human beings trust uh, their perceptions and think highly of their perceptions um, and so the base plenty of, uh, of thoughts and actions on you know, their perceptions only to find out later on uh, that uh, they've been fooled you know, by their perceptions. And just like in the story of uh, you know, the blind uh, you know, people touching you know, the elephant and ending up quarreling, so too in our you know, modern you know, times, you know, well, plenty of quarrels, plenty of conflicts occur based on different perceptions of the same thing or situation or uh, condition. So perceptions are a rather, you know, rather you know, tricky thing uh, that uh, uh, in actuality you know, can undergo many changes and so, you know, just to add one point here, you know, the perception of an you know, ignorant worldling you know, will be very different from the perception of an arahant. So the way an arahant sees the, wor you know, the world uh, is quite different you know, from how an ordinary human being sees it. Anyways, First uh, a definition you know, on you know, perception itself given by you know, the Buddha as recorded in the Samyutta Nikaya 22.79 and there it says, and why bhikkhus, bhikkhunis and meditators do you call it perception? It perceives, therefore it is called perception. So the thing, namely the mental factor that's... Uh, you know, perceives this is what is called perception. And 
Now what and what does it perceive? It perceives blue, it perceives yellow, it perceives red, it perceives white, and it perceives, therefore it is called perception. Now, um, the perception, apart from perceiving colors, what else does it perceive? Just colors or more? Shapes, Shapes forms, what else? Sounds, Sounds yes. Smells, tastes, and uh, what else? Movements. Movements, yes. Or even those? No. And, and then, when, uh, when an object like this is uh, perceived, uh, then uh, what happens? Yes, it will be recognized as uh, an alarm clock. <laughs> if, you, if one has seen an alarm clock before, right, that is great. And <laughs> it's very true. And so, you know, so what our you know, small exchange you know, of ideas here shows is you know, that you know, perception covers two functions, namely the function of, number one, of making a sign, this is such and such. No? So let's say, uh, if you've never, like uh, myself coming from, you know, from the bush, from Nepal, I'm <laughs> <laughs> so they're coming into into a highly developed country, and then you know, seeing this uh, you know, fabulous gadget here, uh, then so someone comes and tells me, "Oh, this is uh, uh, well, it's a modern digital alarm clock." So with this, I, you know, my, hopefully my mind you know, will remember this, and uh, so it will make a sign. This is uh, a digital alarm clock, you know, and so manufacturer so and so. And so then, and then when I see this alarm clock again, let's say tomorrow, then I will remember it as, or recognize, not remember it, I will recognize it as a digital alarm clock manufactured by some Japanese company. <laughs> and so. So perception then performs you know, an important role in our you know, human existence. Maybe since we since we are discussing the qualities of perception, well, perception itself is certain, or is defined in the following you know, way. So. Its characteristic is you know, that of perceiving the qualities of an object. Its function is to make a sign you know, as a condition for you know, perceiving it again as you know, such and such. Or its function is to recognize what has been previously you know, perceived. And the, you know, the difficult part is the manifestation. And the manifestation of perception is that of interpreting 
And this is where the problems or, or where the problems come in. And interpreting of uh, you know, the object by way of the features that have been uh, apprehended. So this interpreting in Pali is known as Abhini Vesa. And as certainly with our illustration or a story of the elephant, well, an elephant, when touching, when a blind person is touching it, or blind people are touching it, well, it can be then interpreted in different ways. And the proximate cause for the arising of perception is the object itself as it appears. Now, just one comment here. Venerable Analayo in his book Satipatthana points out a really important thing, namely, when it comes to feeling, feeling has to do with the, um, or feeling occurs you know, together with the you know, sense door. So in the sense process, you know, in the sense door process, while we're um, you know, taking in an object, there will be um, the eye consciousness, and then there will be contact, fasa, and this then, and then there will also be feeling. So the feeling comes in this context, whereas perception, sanya, comes in the context of or is related to the object itself, the way we see the object. So um, feeling covers the aspect how it is, whereas you know, perception covers uh, you know, the aspect of what the object is. So you know, a subtle but uh, important uh, difference in um, our way of uh, making sense of the world. Now, the, the illustration that is given for you know, Sanya in the Abhidhamata Sangaha is that of a carpenter who is in the process of preparing or making a table, building a table. And so this carpenter, first of all, has to produce the different parts, like you know, the four legs and, uh, and then the different parts that uh, make up the frame and uh, then you know, the you know, plate that goes uh, on top of it. And the different part, as he finishes one piece, he will then mark it uh, with a pencil or uh, a piece of chalk, so that later on, when all the pieces have been done, uh, the carpenter can recognize again, okay, this is first piece, and this then goes together with piece number two and three, and so on and so forth. So perception is certainly somewhat as given in this illustration. Now, with regard to the aggregate of perceptions, 
the Visuddhimagga in its fourteenth uh, uh, chapter, paragraph one hundred twenty-nine, and what was uh, early on missing uh, regarding uh, uh, feelings is uh, then the chapter number fourteen. So there it says, whatever has the characteristic of perceiving should be understood, all taken together as the perception aggregate. And here too, what is said to have the characteristic of perceiving is is perception itself according as it is said, uh, it perceives, uh, that is why it is called certain perception and so on. Now, for a general understanding of uh, perception, since we're dealing with it uh, uh, here in this uh, context, when a meditator is uh, observing, or when a a meditator is uh, undertaking the meditation practice, and uh, then some objects uh, uh, arises, let's say, in the body like uh, uh, like hardness, then the then what's, which mental factor corresponds to the labeling of the object and which mental factor corresponds to you know, the observation of uh, that same main, uh, of that same hardness? Yes, correct. No, no, being aware of observing the hardness. Mindfulness, there you go. And knowing its nature. Well, that's very simple. That's wisdom. No? So, involved... Um, involved in in the observation of an object are several different uh, mental states or mental factors. So the labeling itself, to be very clear, uh, uh, corresponds to um, the mental factor of perception. Since we're giving, we're making a sign there. And then observing the object, being aware of it, being mindful of it, this corresponds corresponds to the mental factor of mindfulness. And knowing its nature then corresponds to knowledge or wisdom. Now... In the course of our meditation practice, the perception of an object and the knowledge of an object um, may change a lot. Even though we're observing the same object. Now, To give you, first of all, a general uh, example how the perception can uh, change. Namely, to a bird 
a scarecrow is what? Is perceived as what? As a person. And to a human being, a scarecrow is perceived as? As a scarecrow. <laughs> Very simple. However, feces to human beings is disgusting, whereas feces to maggots, to worms, to pigs is choice food. <laughs> so the difference is with the perception. And um, one uh, being, living being, um, or one group of living beings sees you know, feces as delicious, you know, desirable, you know, whereas another group of human beings perceives the same feces in an entirely different uh, way. And to give you yet another you know, example of how perception can you know, be you know, delusive, we might, or during the um, evening hours around certain sunset, we might walk, as it is getting darker, we might walk along a path, and, and then at a distance, we see something that is kind of crawling along looks somewhat longer, longish, thin, thinnish, and we then perceive it to be a snake that is crawling across the road or the path. Then when we go closer to the object, we see it as not being a snake at all, but just a dried, curled, longish, thinnish leaf, you know, that is lying there. And you know, that created you know, the impression of being a snake when in fact it's not. And so the Venerable Sainte Upanita loves to mm, relate to meditators the following you know, illustration. Again, in the context of you know, different perceptions, namely um, a rope or a stick is lying across you know, the road, you know, seen from afar, um, this is, appears to be, uh, or, or sorry, there seems to be something lying on a road, on a, on a road, across a road, which seems to, which is perceived as a stick or as a you know, rope. Then, when going closer, one figures out, no, this is not a stick nor a rope, but rather it seems to be consisting of some insects that are crawling across the road. And then when going even closer to the object one sees, the individual ants crossing the road one after the other. And so the same object, but seen from different distances, creates a different impression. And the same thing happens in the meditation practice 
uh, actually almost all the time. To give you an example for this, when observing the rising falling movement of the abdomen, and a beginning meditator will see the rise and fall as one continuous movement. And then, you know, when a meditator has practiced a couple of days, he or she may see the same you know, continuous rising and falling movement as what? Who knows? Hmm? As uh, you know, rising and falling. Okay, yes, good. And then you know, one rising movement as? as segments, yes, indeed, consisting of uh, a varying number of uh, segments. And if the person then continues to practice and so, you know, goes deeper into you know, this uh, you know, rising movement or falling movement of the abdomen, then he or she you know, might uh, you know, see it as a series of dots you know, being there. Or sometimes you know, one might uh, see you know, the you know, rising and falling movement as a kind of like lines of energy you know, intertwining. So there are different ways of seeing an object, or no, actually it's perceiving an object. And so what at first sight seems like a rather continuous object, in the end uh, is not at all. Now, very good examples you know, for you know, the change of, or for changes of perception you know, come you know, from the jhana practice, samatha practice. And um, in particular, you know, well, the fine material jhanas versus uh, you know, the immaterial jhanas. When we start out with a, a jhana practice, well, the body still seems pretty material, pretty solid. However, over time this changes as our jhana practice deepens and so we might sort of be experiencing some of the immaterial jhanas and then experiences you know, such as um, you know, the you know, jhana of, um, what was it, of boundless, uh, boundless consciousness, maybe there, no, boundless space, boundless consciousness, and uh, then of uh, nothingness and of neither perception nor non-perception. So there's a point, uh, apparently, where a meditator um, no longer quite knows whether he or she is perceiving or not perceiving. Things get extremely refined, um, but it's not you know, to be mistaken you know, for uh, path knowledge or you know, fresh knowledge, which is certainly uh, different. So it's the same human body, it's the same body and mind uh, you know, that is being contemplated, but perceived in different uh, ways. Now, there would be other things to say well, maybe, maybe just one or two, you know, two more points. Um, 
because the perception can be so tricky, the Buddha speaks of perversions or distortions of perception. Vipalasa is the Dumpani technical term for this. And this term is used in particular with in, in the connection of, well, permanence of then pleasure or happiness and of atta. So usually we perceive formations to be permanent, to be leading to pleasure or happiness and to be under the control of the self. And these are wrongful perceptions. And with practice, these wrongful perceptions get corrected and thus then we start seeing formations correctly as impermanent, as unsatisfactory and as lacking a self. Now, in the context of the mindful contemplation of the aggregates, what we need to do is to understand or know the nature of this aggregate of uh, perceptions and uh, then also to contemplate uh, um, its impermanent uh, nature, namely of uh, arising and uh, passing away. Now, since time is already quite advanced, let us uh, stop uh, at this point and uh, let me conclude today's Stammer Talk by wishing that may the mindful contemplation of uh, the aggregates of materiality, of feelings, perceptions, mental formations, and certain consciousness may it lead us, may it, may it help us you know, to you know, overcome this tremendous you know, desire and attachment to the aggregates. May we see you know, that you know, the aggregates are you know, really uh, disadvantageous. May we develop detachment and dispassion towards them. And uh, eventually, you know, may this contemplation lead us you know, to the full realization of uh, the Dhamma in uh, the form of, uh, um, well, the attainment of uh, holiness. And this is it for today. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.